Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by B21, a platform which helps you start your journey with cryptocurrencies. Visit b21.io slash hustleshare and get $2 upon signing up. Also powered by Podmetrics, the only analytics platform you'll ever need for your podcast. Sign up now at podmetrics.co for free and use the code HUSTLESHARE. Welcome to the second edition of Ask Hustle Share. We didn't know that we're going to do another episode of this because on the first one, I was just really trying my luck and trying to see and doing an experiment just like a startup, an MVP. Would people care if we were to dissect straight up startup issues or startup questions that our um, founders sent us? And I just wanted to test if we gave an avenue for startup founders to really go deep instead of you know trying to dissect our normal format, which we, we won't we won't get rid of. We're still gonna release that every Monday, but diversifying and really going to a deep dive on certain topics, I think would do. And luckily, I think our assumption, just like any startup, has been validated because someone sent us a fan mail okay so again if you are wondering how to do this all you need to do is go send us a question ask at hustleshare.com and we'll do our best to feature your question so far the questions have been trickling in and every single week every thursday we'll be doing ask hustle share and again be specific as well if you want to throw the question to me or any previous hustler we've had on the show and in this edition of ask hustle share we will be talking about equity. 
And I felt like doing equity or discussing equity with co-founders alone won't cut it because uh, it's, it's quite juicy what our letter sender are, are uh, sent over to us. And I want to dissect it one by one. But before I get carried away, okay, because I get carried away. And sometimes I, I do get carried away here as well. I want to welcome two people that I've never ever had on the show before because they're absolutely strangers to me and I don't even recognize who they are but I'm excited uh, and, and thrilled to have them on the show their names are attorney Joseph Acuna and Jan Michael Tan both from Podcast Network Asia whoop, whoop. who are you people why are you here welcome to Hustle Share again so again Joseph and St. Mike, we call him St. Mike because he is our saint. So these guys are both uh, my colleagues and uh, my, my co-founders technically in Podcast Network Asia, my, my latest startup. So Joseph and Mike, welcome to Hustle Share. Hi, Ron. Hi, Mike. No, hi, Ron. Hi, you, hi, oh, wow. This is St. Mike's first podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll he is on mute. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, is this just a meeting, Ron? What, what is this? Is it, I thought, I thought it was a, so. Again, I I brought people along not because I I couldn't answer the question, but I felt like since we're talking about co-founders and equity and fundraising and whatnot, the best way to do it is to bring someone along who would be expert. So, as a quick background, guys, can you at least give us a a, a good background of what your life was? Prior to PNA and why you guys are the guys that I chose to bring here because you've been working together as well. What have you been doing before? What was your modus operandi? What was your scam before? Let me start, Mike. So yes, prior to PNA, I was uh, I still am a capital markets lawyer. I also helped startups in their fundraising, including your startups, Ron. I used to help you out um, with your startups. On the side, I actually know Mike also from that life. Mm-hmm. We were doing a bunch of projects together, helping not tech startups, but regular brick and mortar startups in mm-hmm. trying to raise funds and trying to do IPO. So, there. So IPO, you're 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 used to you know talking equity, talking funds and whatnot. But Saint Mike also walk us through. So if if Joseph was a lawyer, what were you doing before? So prior to joining PNA, I was a professional stockbroker. So mm-hmm. I, I do trade um, listed stocks and I do consultation for companies who wants to raise capital and go public. And that's where I met Attorney Joseph a couple of years back. So again, I've, I've had Joseph's multiple times. Probably he's a suke guest because he's also the hardest to get eh, more than anyone. <laughs> yeah, my talent fee is very high. Yeah. Yes, super. That's why I just pluck him in. So I've had him, if you want to dissect what a capital markets lawyer does. I think I've had him on a couple of uh, Hustle Share playbooks as well on how to do things. We've had it. But again, let's go right to the point of our letter sender. His name is Jan Bernardino. Okay, and he goes, good day, Sir Ronser. I hope your family are doing well. I'm Jan Bernardino, an aspiring techpreneur. First, I want to thank you for sharing your experience, knowledge, and of course, for putting up an awesome podcast, Hustle Share. Thank you, Jan. Appreciate it. And you're like a big bro to us, a little aspiring techpreneurs. Again, I have, I'm not being a big, I just, I just came early. But again, if, if roles were reversed, I'm pretty sure people would be doing this too. And she said, I hope you can help me, sir. We're going to pitch our digital platform to a potential investor next week. But the problem po, is still 
until now, we haven't decided yet how much equity each co-founder should have. There's four co-founders. And he said, these are my questions. So let's go after the questions one by one. Okay, first million dollar question that he has is how much equity should I keep as the founder CEO? So let me take a first stab before I ask Attorney Joseph and Mike on this one. It would really depend on how you built the company. Are you the type of founder that built the company and got late co-founders that came in? Or are you starting out with a clean slate with zero altogether? Because typically, in my case, the way I usually build my companies, it's usually me who starts it, builds an MVP, validates, and getting late co-founder to jump in. So the way I do that is majority of the time, it's an easy conversation because I will get majority. So majority, it also depends. Now, this is where I want to throw it to Attorney Joseph, right? Because on the first one, he says, it's actually interconnected. The first and second question, he goes, how much equity should I keep as a founder CEO? And the second question he had is, how much equity should I offer to my other three co-founders there? Okay. On the equity, it's really relative. It depends. What is important here, and I've had a lot of discussions with Ron on this one, is the reverse vesting. Meaning, while you own the shares, you have to work a certain number of years or a certain period to be able to really acquire those shares. This is necessary for you to be able to make sure that your co-founders that you've given equity to will not just leave you you know, by yourself. So more than the number of equity, just make sure that you are protected, all of you at least, even yourself, that you are reverse vesting your shares. To give a rough number, maybe at least majority or 51% should be held by you or by a group of co-founders. Yes. So that's the bare minimum I would suggest. Okay, so I'll, I'll wind it down a little bit based on experience, right? So let's, let's uh, dumb it down a little bit. So vesting, what is vesting? So vesting is basically, or reverse vesting, is the process of a founder earning shares. You should never, ever, 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 ever do what I did in my first startup, <laughs> which is give out uh, shares straight up without it earning. So technically... There's two components that you have to know there. First one is vesting. Second is a cliff. Okay, so cliff. So what is vesting? Technically, it's you know over a, man, a number of years. Remember, equity is an incentive, just like what Joseph said, for a founder to stay. Founders are not driven by sueldo. Okay, this is a long game. You should be prepared to do this for at least five to ten years. Minimum. Okay, so if you're here for a quick buck or a racket, that's already a bad sign. If someone's asking straight, well, straight up, they don't understand the concept of being a co-founder because you're here to risk it together, right? If you're not risking it together, then, you know, what, what's that? And as a CEO, you need to think about what your co-founders would want. More than you, you, sh- you should also think. So if it's an incentive, what do you think would incentivize Joseph for him to stay and for him to leave him, whatever he's doing and to focus this on this with me without talking sueldo, right? And that's exactly what happened with us, Joseph, Mike, right? You, you guys left your main hustle. So imagine Joseph was uh, focusing as a lawyer. He left his law firm to focus on this with me because the incentive was not the sueldo. We wanted to exit down the road, you know, and, and, we, and we understood that incentive or, or that game is going to take a long time. Correct, Joseph? 
yeah, I mean, aside from the exit and the end, it's they have to believe the vision. Um, they have to believe in what you're doing and what the project is, what the company is at, at the end of the day. So with Podcast Network, we had that same vision. So we weren't even talking about exits. We weren't even talking about the money at the onset. Um, we were just talking about what we wanted to do in this company. So Okay. Now, going back to your, the first question, how much equity should I keep as the founder CEO? In a perfect world, if you're all starting from zero, it should be equal. Right, it's easy to do that, but there's a big but because there should always be someone who would risk more than anyone. Basically, this is the guy who would push this ass on the line, and typically that's the CEO. Why? Why is it the biggest risk? Uh, number one, the CEO should always be full time. There's no such thing as a part time CEO. Okay, if you're gonna Take the mantle of CEO, you take the biggest risk. You're going to focus on one thing and one thing alone, which is your startup. Hence, you also, you're not going to get equity straight up. You also vest on yourself. Everybody vests. So if you're going to ask your founders to vest, you also need to vest. Because the thing is, again, vesting is how you earn. And the cliff that I said earlier is basically your trial period. Typically, it's the first 12 months. And if in the first 12 months, say, Joseph... I found that ah, Joseph is an idiot, for example. Or Mike isn't the one. Uh, that means I don't need to give the next four years to show that it's going to be like that, right? Or, or for them to, to earn it because in the first 12 months, I already found out it's not a good fit. So you don't have to go through this. But Joseph, you mentioned about reverse vesting. What is the difference between vesting normally, like a cliff with four years and you, know, you stretch that out versus a reverse vesting? So... The main distinction is that for reverse vesting, you already hold the shares under your name, except mm-hmm. that you can't really dispose of it until you vest, until you earn those number of years, depending on what you agreed it's upon. It's just on paper, technically. It's just on paper. So the regular vesting is you don't hold the shares, but every time you earn, you get X number of shares. So let's, mm-hmm. say, let's say for a company, Ron and I, we get 20% each vested in the next two years. So after the two years, we get the 20% versus a reverse vesting where we are already holding the shares. But if we leave in the middle of the two years, then we'd have to return those shares back because we mm. haven't really earned it. So that's the main distinction. Got it. So, and, and I think that's because of, again, from a Philippine law setting, there's no such thing as vesting also. So when you talk to your Corsac or whoever, make sure that those are properly cared for. Now, the second question before we take our first break. For the second question, he said, how much equity should I offer to my three co-founders? So actually, it shouldn't be three co-founders. There's a magic co-founder. You should always... So if there's four of you guys, you think there's actually the fifth co-founder that you should always, always take into consideration. So you, the three co-founders, and the magic Aesop, Joseph, and St. Mike. St. Mike, you want to talk about this? Because there's also another, another thing. And this is where you also come in. What is an ESOP or an, a Filipino ESOP? What is ESOP? ESOP, can I pass it over to Joseph? It's okay. his uh, Joseph. area of expertise. Okay, so, so ESOP is Employee Stock Option Plan. So basically, this is you or the company giving shares to key personnel or key employees. Usually, it's given also to the first few employees to pay them back for their loyalty and for believing in the company at the onset. So as Ron said, it's always important to leave a certain percentage to be given back to the 
employees or key personnel because at the end of the day, they believed in the company when it was nothing yet. So it's always Correct. important to give back. And since you're a startup, you can't really pay that much yet. So Correct. the most you can give is shares and the upside of what the company may become in the future. And again, it's a retention plan, you know, just like how you want the, your, your co-founders to stay in the long game. What you can't afford is to have your best people be poached or lose them in the first two years because you couldn't pay them. You know, you, it's, it's a way to reward them also that what they are working on becomes, they, they get a portion of. So again, your definite co-founder always is yourself. And your ESOP. Now, the rest is how you uh, split it out. Typically, Joseph, on the ESOP, so for example, in terms of percentage, how, how much should you allocate on, on a normal basis for your ESOP at least? I don't think there's an absolute rule on that one. I always suggest 5%. 5%. Just because, yeah, um, it's the usual practice I see. No excuse, no reason why. Mm-hmm. But numbers to consider maybe, that's very important for this discussion. Um. As a founder or as co-founders, you and together with your partners, always look at the number 67 and 67, 51. not 69. Not okay. 69. Okay. 67. Sometimes I think 69. Eh. Okay, but 67 yeah. only. All right. So in the Philippine setting, at least in the Philippine setting, 67% is what you call super majority. Yes. By holding 67% at the minimum, you'll be able to pass company acts such as amending the Articles of Incorporation and mm. big ticket items like that. So I always mm. tell people and clients before that, at least make sure that when you take the the shares into consideration, make sure mm. that post-investment, you still hold the 67%. In other words, basically, you can do whatever the fuck you want and nobody Correct. can do anything Correct. to stop you. So even if you don't hold the 67% on your own, as long as your, you know, your co-founders hold collectively will hold 67%, you'll be okay. Right. So that's the first threshold. Once you you breach that threshold at the minimum again make sure you you take into consideration 51% which mm-hmm. is majority so at least you'd get to do the basic stuff that companies do without having to go around all of the investors all Asking of the people for permission, for permission. but for big approvals of course you still need to go back to the 67% but right. yeah Again, that's a bullet you'd have to take at some point. So Correct. Now, again, why is that important? Because if you're ask, pitching an investor now, you don't want to go over giving away 40% of your company, right? Because if you gave away 40% of your company after this transaction, 67% is already out the window. And at an early age, you need the what you need uh, at the onset as much as possible and retain it is control. Because if you lose control too early, you are fucked. That's it. Because now you're going to play the ego game politics and everything uh, that's going to hamper you. Because again, the only advantage of a startup is the ability of it and the agility of it to go fast. Okay. So again, to finally answer, someone should do majority, which is always the CEO. Why? Because he takes the highest risk. He has us on the line and he should leave everything Ahead Now, how you split it up depends on the level of commitment of that founder. So you tend to give up a little bit more for someone who's going to go take the risk with you, just like what Joseph did. So, you know, I'm not going to tell our cap table. So, no, you have to. <laughs> don't worry. Right. But the second thing, if there are part-time co-founders, you also give them 
a chunk, but not much around 10%, more or less, 5 to 10%. But again, the, the key thing is if you felt you made a mistake as a CEO or anybody else that you made a mistake, that's what reverse vesting, investing with a cliff should do for you. Yeah, and also to share without divulging the details, when when we were starting Podcast Network Asia, one of the things that Ron and I discussed was voting together as a block all the time. Correct. We knew that at some point, so we were holding majority. I mean, we 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 are holding the majority, but it's an ongoing discussion between me and Ron that whatever happens, it's important that at least the co-founders are able to vote as a block because Correct. that's that's the best. You know, that's the best thing we can have, especially right. as you get diluted along the way. So make sure right. that you have good partners. And absolutely. And these are people you're going to go to war with. You're going to see every day for, for a long period of time. There's going to be times that you're going to hate them and whatnot. But at the end of the day, you need to make sure, aside from, from, from the equity that we just talked about, these are people you can go to war with and are going to be on your side no matter what. Because if you do pick out a wrong co-founder, that's where investing and you have to have to clean up your mess because if you're not if you don't clean up your mess that's already the death now for yourself alright now let's take our first break and when we come back we will be talking about the two other questions which we'll now get help from Saint Mike well let's talk about that more after the break hey it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact 24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at PH, the country's biggest SaaS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at sasschallenge.ph. That's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. 
we're back from the break where I'm still with my co-founders and again the people I go to war with and thankfully I haven't gotten rid of them and we didn't have to do reverse vesting and have that thankful conversation again with Mike Tan and Joseph Acuna my 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 my, my boys in Podcast Network Asia and the reason why again as a CEO you need to surround yourself with the best people who are better than you in what they do I suck at math I suck what are the loopholes I've always had to start financials that's why we got St. Mike I suck at legal. What the fuck do I know about legal? And you know, in this business, in media and tech, legal is 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 king. So my co-founder in this startup is a lawyer. Now again, uh, we we talked about equity and equity splits in the first part. Let's talk about investment now. So Jan, he said on his third question, uh, is that this we're gonna ask for a five million investment. What's the ideal equity should that we should offer to the investor? Now, the big question here would always be pre-revenue or post-revenue. Are you at the idea phase or do you have traction? That's what you should always think of because at the end of the day, traction is your biggest leverage, right? Now, in, in my opinion, you should bootstrap as far as you can before you fundraise because at the end of the day, it's a game of leverage, guys. Now, if you don't have traction, you don't have a good team, if you don't have experience, you don't have all these things that give you the ability to negotiate, it's going to be hard. But St. Mike, let's talk about the real deal. From a financial point of view, he said he's, they're going to ask for a $5 million investment. What's the ideal equity you should, you should offer to the investor? Now, he didn't disclose. The, the, the second question that he said that they are in MVP mode, they said that 80%, uh, they're at 80% done. So what should be the ballpark figure and how should she, uh, how should Jan take this on? Okay, maybe we can tackle the first questions first. Because valuation would really come down to a lot of things. There's no one answer to, to this. Um, basically, you need to know uh, which stage of a startup are you currently in. Okay. And number two, you have to check your preferences okay. between you and your co-founders. How many shares are you willing to give up? And the third thing you have mm-hmm. to look at is the valuations. For example, you're willing to give up, let's say, 10% of okay. your company for investor. Would it be worth $5 million? So that's the, the, the last question you have to see. That's why you have to go and do your projections, do your valuations. Now, if um, let's say your 10% is worth $5 million, then now you have to go out and convince an investor that you are worth $5 million. At the end of the day, the devaluations that we, we do, it's just a number in our head until an investor actually okay. buys at that price. Bites, right. Yeah. But when people, when co-founders uh, or, or, or startups throw that out, right? It's a, num- a random number that you pluck out of nowhere, right? Somehow, some way, just like uh, uh, anything, you have to defend it in one form or another. But what would be the best rule of thumb, you know, if they're asking $5 million? And typically also, Mike, uh, what happens here is that the, the first risk taker, whether an angel or it's her family, they typically don't just get 5 to 10%. Because I've only seen that in the Valley. The check sizes that I've seen at $5 million, that's more or less around $100,000, if I'm not mistaken, that gets you around 20 to 30%, which again is already near the 67% mark. Nobody, I haven't seen anybody take the first risk here in the Philippines and get 5 to 10% from the get-go. How, how do they play this out? Okay. The easiest way 
to value your company is really by using multiples. So it's a multiple of revenue, a multiple of net income, a bit the. But before you go there, the first thing you have to look at is the multiple of the industry you are in. No. So, for example, if you are in the uh, construction space, let's say the example the, the multiple there is a, there's a PE price earnings multiple of ten times. So, meaning if the net income is five million, if the PE multiple is ten times, basically the value of your company is fifty million. Okay. So you have to look at the PE multiples of uh, various companies within your space, and that uh, most probably would also form your PE multiple. So that, that's how you do it. Because you compare your company to other companies in the same space. But of course, you have to be realistic. Say, for example, you don't compare yourself to a Silicon Valley. There's always an Asian discount. So for example, yes. you let's say e-commerce and you, let's say the PE is 7%. Of course, since we're an Asian company, you have to dumb it down a little bit. And that's also how you defend it. Ah, okay, a comparable like company like this in whatever has a PE of this, and this is going to be our PE. But what metric do you multiply it with? The interesting part here, and the fourth question, I'll, I'll just read it. And he said, how are we supposed to evaluate our startup company that it's not profitable yet? And I assume this is not pre, it's, it's pre-revenue. Our website is already at 80% done, and the market size is 43 million people. Thank you, Sir Ron, and stay safe. Uh, the way I look at it, this is going to be purely projections. This is going to be a Hail Mary for whoever is going to be yes. investing on, on the startup. Yes, this is actually where it gets a, a little bit muddy. Because remember, with projections, it's uh, garbage in, garbage out. So when you use numbers uh, in your projections, like sales projection, um, user projection, you have to make sure that it's based on actual data. It's not something you just right. pulled out of thin air and put into your projections. You have to be able to defend that. Mm. So that, that's how you do your, your projections. So let's say for our... Uh, listener, let's say you have a 43 million market size. Okay, right. out of that 43 million, how many of those are you going to target? How much of that is your real market? And how much percent of that can you convert into paying users? Now, the next step is how much would per paying user pay you, right? So how much will you be able to earn right. per user? And that's how you get your revenue projections. And then you have to subtract all the related expenses to that. What right. does your churn look like? What does your yeah. acquisition cost look like? You have to subtract all right. your operating expenses. And then you, you're going to drive down. You're, you're going to get the final number, mm-hmm. right? the net income. You're, you're going to get the projected net income. That's why I, I always say that it's always best to do fundraising when you have traction, because all of these are going to be, you know, nitpicked on by any investor. And if you're just going to throw random numbers without validation, without traction to back you up, your credibility and your leverage is absolutely zero, right? You need to be able to back it up with, with traction, show you that you're greedy, that with very little resources are already there. But hey, it's hard to get in the room with an investor, Right. What I suggest, if you're already in the room and you're pre-revenue, you're pre-whatever, unless you have a, a spectacular team that were have run startups before, that's the only time I actually see idea space investments. You know, when 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 people uh, have done startups before, like for me, it was an easy investment for people because I've this is my third rodeo. They know what I can do. You know, and as your first startup, you don't have that cred yet. But if you already have the attention of an investor, what I suggest is don't have an ask yet. 
what you want to be able to do is be on the radar of that investor so that you know uh, they know about you. And what you want to be able to show instead of an ask is a roadmap. This is what I plan to do. This is what we plan to do. And when you hit that roadmap in the, say, next three to six months, then you go back and it's an easier conversation because you get it done. Correct, Joseph? If I may add my non-financial, purely experience-based take on this one, going back to your questions, right? Um, usually what happens is, this is correct, you have a number in mind. So in your case, you're looking at a 5 million investment. What I want you to take note of is, make sure that that 5 million investment is enough for you to run to a certain period of time before, yes. your, next, before your next step. Whether runway. It's a, it has to be good enough runway. You don't want a 5 million investment when your monthly overheads is at 5.5 million. Correct. Because you wouldn't even survive. So <laughs> just make sure that your ask is, you know, that your ask will give you enough runway for you to be right. able to survive before your actual fundraising. Before you, so let's say your pre-revenue, pre-MVP, make sure that whatever your ask is will at the very minimum lead you to your MVP. If you're mm. at the MVP level, make sure you, that at least you're starting to get profitable after that runway. So that's right. the first step. Usually what happens from experience is you have a number in mind Right, And then you have a dilution percentage that you're willing to take out, meaning how much percentage, without even considering the value of the company, without even considering anything, any of those things. You have the money you need and the amount of shares you're willing to give. From experience, that's usually where the numbers, the computations that Mike was telling earlier, that's where it comes in. So you'd come up with a valuation out of nowhere, as he initially said, right? Yeah. It's just the amount of money you need and somebody's willing to pay for it, mm. right? So as long as somebody's willing to pay for your valuation, that's good. But as Ron was saying also, you have to be able to justify it. Otherwise, you'd lose credibility. So right. whatever your ask is, whatever the dilution point you're willing to give out, you have mm. to make sure that it aligns at some point to an extent where it becomes realistic that the value of the company is that. Maybe it's through income. If you're pre-revenue, maybe it's through projections or mm. whatever it is. Just make sure that you're able to justify. What Mike taught you, what Mike was discussing earlier, is a very good way to justify it. But at the end of the day, even if you can justify it, if no one's willing to buy it, all those numbers aren't really that much important. Correct. And last thing before we, we, we wrap this baby up. At this stage, at Angel, and even at Seed stage, it's always a strategic fit. You look for an investor that will not just give you money, but will open up doors and opportunities for you. Whether Because at the end of the day, that, that investor at that level should be borderline like a co-founder should hustle with you because you know the last thing you want is just someone putting in money and be counting where the fuck is my money where's the fuck is my money right you need someone that can open up doors and help you become successful in whatever you, your problem you're trying to solve right yep yep i think the important thing is to know where, where the next goalpost is and if this mm. exercise it's whether it's fundraising whether it's getting co-founders or whatever make sure that whatever you're doing you're doing it to get to the next goalpost yes i agree yeah and again they will nitpick it and be prepared to ask those, those things but again we have to make sure that it's a fit because if you also think that it's not a fit be prepared to walk away that's basically it Again, your best leverage is when you have traction. And if you don't have it, I suggest delay it because fundraising is not the end. The, the risks are higher once you get somebody else's money. 
So the best way to do it is be prepared to take that money through validation and also put your team to the test. Can you really do things together when things are bad? You know, when you have very small resources, that's the most important thing. Your investors also doesn't have to be giving you intros to A16Z and they don't have to be verified on Twitter. They need to add value, okay? Because we're not in Silicon Valley. We can try to be in Silicon Valley, try to get to YC, good job. But there are only four startups in the Philippines that have been lucky to get that. And even them, they haven't, you know, Caliber has been there for, for a while. None of them have exited yet. So fundraising is not the end goal. You know, money is money, but at the end of the day, it's grit and hustle. And the team that you assemble towards solving a problem together, that would matter the most. Again, St. Mike and Joseph, thank you very much for joining Hustle Share. And thank you for dropping whatever the pack you were doing earlier today <laughs> to join me here. Thanks, Ron. Yeah, sure. St. Anytime. Mike, welcome to your first podcast ever. There you go. <laughs> okay, but before I'm pop- not the virgin. Oh, there you <laughs> What the fuck? Um, okay. <laughs> You are now officially pop your cherry. There you go. And again, follow us on whatever podcast app you're listening to, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcast, or uh, YouTube and whatnot. And again, if we did say some jargon, we I will also be attaching a link for Y Combinator on this one about how they uh, typically do uh, equity sharing. It's going to be in the show notes on hellashare.com. And again, if you want to be uh, participative of how you want to join this community of hustlers within Hustle Share. It's going to be in Hustle Share community on Facebook. And lastly, message us on our chatbot at m.me slash hustleshare powered by chatbot. Again, Mike and Joseph, thank you very much. Thanks, Ron. Thanks. All right. I'll see you guys next episode. Peace. Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again, and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey Hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. 
Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named FinTech of the Year at last year's Philippine FinTech Festival in 2023. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. <laughs> 